and welcome to the Christian Formation Podcast. I'm Raven, and I'm here with Andrew, one of our pastors at Providence Church. The goal of this podcast is to form disciples to live all of life with the presence of God. And we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Today, we're discussing the book of 2 Thessalonians. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Andrew, I have something new to share with you, new knowledge. Okay, I'm excited. Okay, so I was listening to my favorite psychology podcast, per usual, and... What is it? It's called... Stop it. You have to know your favorite podcast. <laughs> I know. I just blanked because I was put on the spot. It's called No Stupid Questions Okay. by the Freakonomics Radio. I think you've mentioned that before on here, right? Yeah, it's great. How many of our listeners do you think now listen to that because you've mentioned it? I don't think I've ever mentioned the name. Oh, yeah. No. I think I've just mentioned a podcast okay. that I listen to. Well, now people can go listen to it. That's why I had you say the name. There we so go. So people can go well, listen to Well, I don't want people podcasts. to judge me because sometimes the topics are a little bit odd, but they are doing the seven deadly sins right Right now, which is kind of interesting because I don't think they're Christian, but you know, it's just interesting uh, okay. to get a different I don't perspective. Think people will judge you, maybe, uh, maybe they will. Yeah, I don't know, but I listened to the one over gluttony, and I thought it was really interesting because they were talking about sugar and how much sugar we eat in the United States and how it's not good for us. Basically, they gave this fact that in a study that they conducted, children were more likely or almost always had a sugary fattening snack rather than a fruit or vegetable on any given day, which I think is, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, that's probably true. Isn't that bad though? I was thinking about it and then they were talking about how orange juice is processed and other things are processed. And they did give the caveat that if it doesn't have added sugar and it's just natural orange juice, then it's fine. Like it's not you know, characterized as a processed what food. What kid is just snacking on celery or I cauliflower? I know, exactly. Wouldn't that be weird? Like, okay, if you think about Jet and Riggs, do you think every single day, pretty much, they have eaten a sugary processed food rather than a fruit or a vegetable? Well, probably for sure. Well, they don't eat many vegetables. It's a labor and... We have to get real creative to figure out ways to get vegetables into them. (laughs) Uh, But we do have these like specific, you know, those like little um, pouches or packs of like fruit and veggie stuff. We do find some that have like no added sugar or whatever. Well, because they have fruit in them, it has sugar, but not like, yeah, like added sugar, whatever that has fruit and veggies in it, which is helpful because they'll eat those. And then if we can somehow figure out a couple times a week to get some other kind of vegetable in them. We count that as a win. Yeah, no, that's great. But that's all they want if you start eating it. I mean, that's the same yeah. as us, right? Like you you eat sugary stuff and that's then you're like addicted to it. That's what you want. Yeah. Did you guys wait until Jet or Riggs were a certain age before they got sugar? Like pure sugar? Uh, No, but that's because when Jet was young... We didn't really think about it. Mm-hmm. Like I don't we didn't we didn't go in with an active or proactive plan for that. Yeah. And it's hard because when you go places with little kids, a lot of times people well meaning people like give them snacks or whatever. And so you just kind of started to and we weren't super strict on it. Riggs, on the other hand, because he had so many eating problems mm-hmm. as a kid, it's only actually he's almost three and it's only been recently that he's actually wanted like a sucker or fruit snacks mm-hmm. or whatever. like for the first two years of his life, he wouldn't even eat any of that stuff wow. or ice cream or even juice. He still doesn't do any sort of juice. He like doesn't like it. Hmm. So he's just totally different because yeah. he just, he rarely eats anything because of all of his mm. issues when he was younger. So he is a little bit different. Although now 
he's really gotten into uh, either Oreos or the uh, the Costco like Kirkland chocolate chip cookies. Nice. So he asks for those all day long. Oh, which they're good, but in moderation. They are. We <laughs> say no about 99 times a day. Oh and my then goodness. Once a day or once every other day. He'll get one. He's probably and so happy when he, he gets one. He's very happy. So doesn't very. that just make you want to give him like another one? No, because when he doesn't <laughs> get one, when we say no, he just throws a fit and he starts like stomping his feet and yelling. And so that to me, it, Bailey kind of feels like anxious about that a little bit or feels bad for him when he does that. That's an in my mind. It's like done. You're yeah. not getting anything now. And yep. so. I'm a little bit harder on him, I think. That's hilarious. Basically, you're like Paul in these letters. You're laying down the hammer a bit. In many ways, I'm like Paul. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my word. Well, today, you guys, we're talking about Second Thessalonians. And last week, we talked about First Thessalonians. And I'm just going to go on record and say, these are just interesting letters. I had no idea that they were about end times before this. You thought First Thessalonians was interesting, too? I mean, Second yeah. Thessalonians is like different, but... What what about them? I mean, you mentioned end times, but anything else that makes them feel different or not what you expected or interesting I, to use your word? Yeah, I truly didn't think that they were really about end times as much as they were. Like I would have expected more end times things naturally in Revelation. And that was yeah. it. Um, I was talking with one of our coworkers and he was saying, yeah, I, this is probably bad, but I didn't even know Thessalonians is about end times. I'm like, yeah. I know, same. So I don't know if my mind just glossed over it in the Bible in a year plan, but I didn't even think about it. Yeah. I think in reading second Thessalonians this week, getting ready for this, I don't think I realized that almost all of that letter is like the back mm -hmm. half of first Thessalonians is he addresses some of that stuff. But then pretty much everything in Second Thessalonians is either helping correct a view of like end times and then how that matters to our life today, which is really helpful because, you know, we often maybe think of, like you mentioned Revelation or when Jesus teaches about the temple and the second coming and the destruction and tribulation and stuff. I feel like that's mostly, or maybe some people will think about Daniel a little bit at the end, the what we consider weird passages that we don't really know much about, but maybe you know, like, I think he says something about end times. I think we often don't think about many other places in the Bible that do speak to it, but there are a number of them, which I do think hmm. is something for us, right? Like if they are in multiple places throughout the New Testament, should that inform how much we think about it or how much impact it has on our life? Personally, my gut reaction is, but it's still not in a lot of places. I mean, it is. You said that so definitively well, and okay. confidently. I know. I mean, yes, we see it in First and Second Thessalonians, and then we see it a little bit at the end of Daniel, and then in Revelation. Yeah, but Second Peter talks about some false views on it. Um, mm. Jude talks about keeping yourself for this day that is to come. Hebrews talks about enduring till the end and what that's going to mean and how we live in light of that. First Corinthians 15 talks about what Christ has <laughs> resurrected and done and why that's going to mean at the end, he's going to have this kingdom and overcome death. So I do think it's scattered yeah. throughout more than we think. And I guess I wonder why that is. I don't know. Even like we said, like second Thessalonians is mostly all about that. Right. But I don't know. I didn't fully realize that until reading it, prepping for this. I'm sure most of our listeners probably didn't know or have a great view of if you're going to go end times stuff and why that matters, go to Second Thessalonians. So I'm not sure why that is that we maybe don't 
have a good grasp of those places. But I wonder if in churches they try to steer clear of that topic a little bit because people can be so divided on what end times looks like. Do you think we are wrong as a church because we say that end time stuff is, we have like three categories of theology we say are like close-handed, non-negotiable, our statement of faith, we have to believe this. We have what we call our distinctives, which are not vital salvation things, but really important to the life of the church and how Mm -hmm. we do life together. And we have a third category that we say is like interesting topics, but we don't really need to like have strong positions on or whatever. And we put end times or eschatology is a big word in that category. Is that wrong? I don't think it's wrong because as we said in the last episode, I think sometimes people can get so caught up in the semantics of end times and that actually causes further division rather than actually spurring people on to have hope that they are saved, that they're secure in Christ and that he will come again one day. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So I think it's okay that we have it as an open-handed issue. Now, do other people in our church feel that way? I don't know. Have you gotten pushback on it in the classes? I would say every class I've at least gotten a or multiple questions about it. Not really pushback necessarily, but just people that that is a big thing for them or they're really intrigued by it, want to know why exactly do you think it's that way? Or they'll just, I usually say in most of the classes, like I do have like personal convictions on what I believe about the end times. We just don't have a church stance on it, like from our elders or as a whole church. So I tell people in the class, if you want to talk about it, I'm glad to share my convictions on it. I just, I can't share a, as Providence Church or from our elder team, we believe this, like in some other areas. So sometimes people will come up and just be interested because they like thinking about this stuff and they'll ask, but not a ton of pushback because I think most people, like we're saying, probably assume, well, it's kind of a weird topic that's really just in Revelation. And so Mm. I don't know that it matters that much. So I think most people don't push back. But to your point, it is littered throughout the New Testament. And so that question of should we be focused more on end times is a good question. I also think it more so begs the question of should we be focused on the kingdom, right? Like what does it look like to continue to persevere toward the kingdom of heaven, but also this like tiny little embassy kingdom that we have on this earth as believers. Yeah, which I do think some of that and some of these questions is what Paul is addressing in Second Thessalonians. So maybe let's just get into it, I guess. It's only three chapters, so it's a pretty small book. Um, but is there anything, Raven, like contextually that's much different than First Thessalonians or anything else that's helpful for us to grasp as we get into the book? Yeah, so just a little recap. During his second missionary journey, Paul founded the church in Thessalonica, but opposition forced him to leave. And so he wrote that first letter and then essentially wrote a second letter because he suspected that the believers at Thessalonica needed a stronger, essentially, dose of advice um, that he had already given in his first letter. So in the first letter, we see Paul praising the church for its character and for growing in Christ-likeness as well as we also see him exhorting them to live holy lives. But in this letter, we see more of the main themes of like suffering, of work, and end time. So pretty much the same. The difference is I feel like he hits work a little bit harder than we see in the first book. Yeah, and I do think you mentioned suffering, work, and end times. It does feel like 
end times and their view of what is to come, that is like the centerpiece of what he's talking about. And then he's addressing how does that affect suffering and persecution that they're going through and how does that affect work and their life today. And so that was a new piece for me because I would have said, like you mentioned Mm -hmm. those three, I thought that they were probably all these like equal parts, but reading through it, I think he's using their confusion on this day of the Lord, Jesus's return, what that means. And it's making them confused on how do we handle the persecution and suffering that we're going under right now. And it's causing some problems with how people work and engage in the world. And so this is where I do think maybe my view has shifted a little bit this week in reading this. The end times and what is to come is actually his basis for Mm. answering those other questions. Yeah, that makes sense. Because it also, as I was reading it, the idea that all of those items are all under the umbrella of the hope that Christians have because they can live with eternity in mind. At least that's how I was thinking of it of, okay, this is the hope that we can have. And yeah, I feel like he kind of uses eternity and the end times as the basis for how we should live today. Yeah, which is what he says in 1 Thessalonians 4 in the passage we talked about last episode. That gets a little confusing, but the main emphasis is when your brothers and sisters in the faith, when they die, he specifically says, we don't have to grieve like those who have no hope. Mm. So I think what you're saying is right, that this idea of hope actually transcends then suffering, persecution, and even death itself, because there's a hope inside of us. And I think this seems to be just another explanation or a greater working out of that idea. Because we have hope in Christ's return and ultimate victory over all things, that does change then how we view hardships, death, or as he gets into at the end, work ethic and how we live today in general. Yeah. Okay. So then what would you say if that's kind of the overall, I don't even know if it's like theme maybe is what we would call it. What would you say for the actual purpose of the book? Because in first Thessalonians, we saw that the purpose was more so for Paul to encourage them and spur them on to more and more like we saw in verse four. This is all just coming from the last day or two, so I may be off, but it seems to me that in reading through this, he is trying to encourage the Thessalonians again, but specifically about the persecution in the present and their confusion about the future. So he's trying to speak into two main problems they're having, which is they really are, they're suffering, like physically suffering, they're a part of persecution from the Roman Empire, they're actually dealing with really hard things and they're struggling to know how to make sense of that with the risen Jesus. And if he has power and authority, why is all this stuff happening? So there's uh, the persecution in the present, but then also that aids into their confusion then about what the future is, this day of the Lord, the second coming, what that means and how that looks for their life today. It seems like those are the main two issues that Paul wants to encourage them in and kind of speak truth into, I think. Totally. Okay. If people have read this, they're probably sitting there wondering, how do we make sense of all the end times stuff? Because it talks about the man of lawlessness or the antichrist. It talks about, you know, working hard, not being lazy. And for certain brothers or sisters in the faith who are essentially being lazy to kind of 
ostracize them a bit so that they feel ashamed? Like, how would people make sense of this as they're reading through it? Well, maybe it's helpful to say this. There's three chapters, and this doesn't break 100% smoothly, but generally, you have chapter one, which is Paul doing his normal greeting, and he's thankful for this church. Mm -hmm. And then he specifically speaks into the persecution that they're feeling and how they should live through that. So that's their kind of suffering and persecution. Chapter two is kind of his main emphasis on their confusion about this day of the Lord, which is when Jesus is going to return, make all things new. So there's confusion there. So he teaches on that. And then at the end, he circles back around. So because of that, now they have another problem where people aren't working, essentially. They're not working hard. They're not really Mm -hmm. doing much in this life. And he says that's wrong. So there's the suffering and persecution. Then the center of the book is kind of the end times teaching a little bit and then some implications on life today. So if that's kind of the outline, maybe it is helpful to see each of those parts, obviously the middle part, but each of them speak into the end time stuff. So maybe to grasp your question, is it helpful to just kind of walk through that and see what exactly is he saying in the first part? What is the main teaching in the second part? And then how does that apply today in the third part? Yep, that's great. Okay, so in the first chapter, he basically says that they are suffering and that people and this Roman Empire and the system is oppressive to them. And they are wondering, how do we make sense of that? How do we consider what it means to be a Christian in the midst of persecution and suffering? Okay, so let me just read maybe verses five and six. Paul says, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and this is verse 7, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. And it goes on to kind of explain a little bit more of that. And his whole argument here is basically, you're suffering because you're Christians. Like there's oppression and persecution and hardships, but take heart, Jesus is coming back in power and he's going to judge and take care of all these people and systems that are oppressing you. It feels challenging, but at the same time, I feel like it's helpful too, because then you know that there will be justice and there will be someone that fights on your behalf so that you don't have to. It is weird because it feels super unloving and not kind to be like, oh, sweet, this person's going to go to hell for judging me. Like, that's not good. So now I feel better in my suffering and bleeding and imprisonment. Yeah. But I will say this, put this into a situation in our day. If you have somebody who really is unjustly abused or taken advantage of, there should be a cry in us for justice mm-hmm. to be done. Yeah. And if you're the one who has been attacked or victimized, then I think it is okay for you to say justice should come to this situation and to that person's evil acts. Right. And I do think that's what he's saying here is that this is how he's initiating his encouragement based on the end times. He's saying you're suffering today but the Lord is coming back. You will get to be in his presence forever. And all the evildoers that are causing unjust persecution or acting in wickedness and promoting evil, Jesus is going to handle that injustice. And so we live today knowing that that day is coming both for us 
and for them, and that we can rely on the justice of Jesus to do that. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so then he transitions from that as he highlights Jesus's return and his justice there into kind of the crux of the argument on end times. So, Raven, this is where he mentions the man of lawlessness and when Jesus is going to come back. So can you give us a 90-second teaching on Jesus's return and the man of lawlessness? So basically, there's going to be someone super evil, commissioned by the devil to come rule on this earth, and then Jesus will come back. You look so comfortable right now (laughs) and at ease. No, I feel very uncomfortable because it says the Antichrist is going to, or like, someone is going to be raised up and basically lead people astray, unite all the nations and deceive a bunch of people. That's terrifying. Yes, it is. And that is a good, I mean, that was like a 10 second synopsis, but that is his argument. Jesus is going to return. Part of what they were thinking is, have we missed his return? Cause things are getting so bad. Have we now just missed it and he forgot us or he left us and this is life. He's basically saying, nope, he hasn't come back. You will know when he comes back. And before that, there is going to be this time of where somebody or something is going to be leading people astray, and there is going to be some level of difficulty before he comes back. So he's trying to encourage them, you haven't missed it, so keep suffering with hope and endurance. Because that's part of the suffering thing is they thought, well, did we just miss it and now we're suffering for no reason because Jesus isn't going to come back for us? And he's saying, no, there's going to be this man of lawlessness, there's going to be hardships, and then he will return and he is going to come get you. So here's maybe my one question on this point. Do you think it's important for people to consider or try to think through who is this man of lawlessness going to be? What are these trials going to be? When is this actually going to take place? Is it taking place now? Are those questions helpful, important, vital for our Mm. faith in life today? I think it's good to have those questions and to think about them, but I don't think that they should become the 90% of your life when they should stay the 10%, if that makes sense. So I think that those are good, valid questions. I think we should be alert and we should be constantly on the lookout for Christ's return in the sense that we're working hard, we're laboring, we're working to have a relationship with Christ so that when he does return, yeah, we can stand before him blameless in a sense. But I don't think that that should become the 90% of our lives where we're freaking out or we're meditating, worrying, and ruminating on that when we should be really having our eyes fixed on Christ. That then I think is where Paul wraps up the book of saying, if we are focused on the end and his coming more than all the specific details constantly, but just the hope that he is going to come back, make all things new, deliver us from trials and suffering. Then he's addressing what does that look like for our life today? Because what was going on in this church or region, it seems like is people were what he calls idol. So they not like an I like I D O L, but I D L E like they're, they're lazy. They're not working hard. They're not getting new jobs. They're, essentially saying, well, if Jesus is coming back, then we're just going to sit and wait for him to come yeah. back. It's and, like a big form of senioritis, essentially. Yeah, yeah. They're just done. Yeah, so they're done, they're waiting, and he says, that's not how we're to live in this day. Yeah, we're supposed to work hard and continue to persevere to the end, like Hebrews talks about, yeah. kind of. Yeah, and he does give the example 
of himself saying, hey, when we came, like we worked hard and we were a part of not only the church life, Paul made tents at certain places where he went. There was just a labor that he had in the world, both in what we would call, quote unquote, ministry or preaching or his mission work, and also just in the city and with the people that he was at. And so he does say, work hard, find jobs, don't use the second coming of Christ Mm. as an excuse to be lazy or maybe what we would call like the over-spiritual, like, well, any of the work I do, anything of this world, none of it really matters. I'm just kind of focused on the spiritual stuff. I think he combats that and says, while you're here on earth, be a blessing, Mm. be of what is good, be salt and light, preserving the good, being creative, bringing beauty into the world until the day that he comes back. Yeah, I think it's good. It just reminds us to strain toward what lies ahead as we are faithful with what God has given us here right now. Thank you for joining us today. The goal of the Christian Formation Podcast is to live all of life with the presence of God. And we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Please like this, rate it, review it, share it so that it can get out to more people. If you have any questions, email us at formation at providenceomaha.org. We'll see you next week.